it's simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. Please welcome to today's episode of the Tea with Mike show, uh, Freddie Aziz, a teacher in Calgary and a competitive athlete in the sport of freestyle wrestling for the Dinos uh, Wrestling uh, Club. Welcome to the show, man. Oh, thanks, man. Happy to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah, so it's also uh, very excited uh, to reconnect after uh, many years. It's funny how uh, people's uh, paths cross at different moments in life. Totally. Yeah. Just the strangest places, strangest people, but, you know, we all come together. <laughs> That's also probably one of the best things about life, too, right? Amen. I agree. Okay, so c can you tell us uh, where you grew up and where you call home now? Yeah, so uh, pretty simple. I, I was born and raised Calgarian. Um, my parents were from Ontario and both moved out here for their respective careers, and then they met. And then, yeah, I've never, um, I've always lived in, and called Calgary my home. Uh, I recently moved out of my, my childhood home, which was really awesome. I finally moved out, so I'm pretty excited about that. But yeah, I still still live in Calgary. Um, and what were kind of some of your favorite things to do kind of growing up and why? Yeah, I guess um, when I was really young, like kind of elementary, junior high age, I was actually pretty into like video games and uh, trading cards. So like Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering. Um, I love that kind of anime fantasy kind of stuff and, and just immersing myself in sort of these new worlds. Um, yeah, it was, and, and I had a good group of friends that allowed me to do that. And we always, you know, would, would talk about it and, and keep up with it. So, so it was never like I was on my own with it. It was, it was I had people who also enjoyed those things as well in my life. Nice. Uh, and uh, any anything else? Did you uh, like? Like, did you ever like trade by sports cards, things, things like that, Beyblades, marbles? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I didn't get Beyblades. Like, I feel like all my friends did, and I would just like be the guy who was watching. Um, I was more into the trading cards and like sports cards. I collected a few, but I think now I'd be more into sports cards because I've, as I've grown older and, and kind of once I hit puberty, I was really into sports. So now I would probably be more into sports trading cards. But back then I was just like, oh, another set of cards, whatever. Like it was just to add to my big collection, you know. That's fine. And that was kind of like the opposite for me. Like when I was in school in England, um, I, I used to, like, obviously, because football slash uh, soccer is uh, yeah. pretty big over there. Anytime, like, a FIFA World Cup had come around and they brought out, like, the special special league cards, everyone, it, it was a thing at the playground. Everyone was looking to trade cards with uh, each other and, like, people would, like, run off to the shop before school to try and get yeah. better cards than the uh, the other person. And the reality was, and this is why they make so much money, is... Because it's such a short amount of time uh, to collect the cards before the World Cup is over, but like zero zero point zero zero one percent of people ever like complete the uh, the full set in this, unless they're super rich and they drop like a lot of money very fast, and even then they're gonna end up with duplicates. Yeah, like there's all the you know you have to get the trading packs or the booster packs, whatever, and then you have to like hope that you get the cards that you want and then yeah it really is sort of like a, a bit of a gamble for kids at such a young age and then i and then on the beyblade side i really enjoyed like the uh, the beyblades and stuff and because you use because at, at the call the beyblades are like the same but the like the, the chip with like the different characters which is yeah i guess a little similar to like pokemon is is the bits that you that you were uh, like trading in i know it used to get mm -hmm. pretty like competitive and argumentative like where you were ripping from and 
Like, yeah. What, 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 the height, the velocity, the exit yeah. velocity of your Beyblade. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's actually crazy how long how, how long they can go for it if you know what you're doing. Yeah, relative. Like, like man, I think you know kids play with them, but you know, could you train an adult to be like super strong and be able to just like rip it so fast that you know what I mean? Like. There's, if there, there must be some sort of training program that someone's thought of to get a baby to spend forever. <laughs> and then it's all about like tr- things that are trending too. Like if I, I haven't heard people talk about Beyblades, for example, in years and years, right? Decades. I don't see yeah, it in the news. I don't see that. I'm pretty sure they don't play it in at schools. Well, you, well, you're a teacher. Do they play Beyblades in school? Um. I guess I saw like one time I saw some kids, but I don't think they were Beyblades. They looked like sort of like dollar store knockoff. Like I know the genuine Beyblades. Those they didn't quite look like that. But. The original ones. They're, they're super sharp if if you touch them at the like the wrong moment. Oh yeah, for sure. And then you had those customizations. Like you could put metal rings on them that were good for like defensive against sort of those sharp ones. And then there's other ones that would attack low and attack high. And were you ever into Beatamon? Do you know what that is? No, what's that? Uh, you can look it up after, I guess, but it's like these marble shooters, and there'd be, like, so there's, like, a little slot, and then you'd put marbles in, and it would shoot marbles out, and then just below the shooter, there'd be this target, and you'd try to, like, hit your opponent's target, and then, like, that's how you'd win. You'd, like, hit with the marble, you'd hit their target, and then it would, like, uh, put a cover over top of their cannon, I think, so they would know they lost, because they can't shoot anymore. Yeah. Oh, so so the the only game that I know with at marbles is the one where you like put all of the straws in and then you tip all the marbles on on the top and then there's the golden ball and you make a rule for the golden ball whether that's like give all of your marbles to the person on the left and then you have to like pull oh. the straws uh, straws out of it and then it comes down to shoot all the marbles into into like the bottom where you got the d- different people's like trays. So, oh, okay. I think I sort of know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's, like I think it's called, yeah, it's called Kaplunk, isn't it? There you go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe I know. Yeah. Okay, so so when did you first start freestyle wrestling, and was it something that you wanted to do from an early age, or that, was it kind of something that you got into kind of later on? Yeah, I guess um, I always tell the story that it was kind of like a joke, or like almost a fluke, that I, uh, I got into it. So, like, uh, I was in seventh grade, and... Um, I was probably I was probably like just under a hundred pounds. I was probably like ninety five pounds, and we're not talking like ninety five pounds like ripped. We're talking like ninety five pounds wet, like kind of scrawny. Like you know, I was athletic ish, but I, I you know I wasn't what you'd think of as a wrestler. And um, one of my friends, he played like really high level hockey, and he came up to me, or I asked him why he was still changed because he was still in his gym active wear one day after school. And I said, Oh, where are you going? And he's like, I'm going to the wrestling team. You should come. And uh, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll go join the wrestling team, you know, as a little skinny kid. Like, I was pretty known for just being, like, this small, like, funny kid. And um, so not much has changed. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, I, I threw, like, giggles. I, I walked up to the coach and I said, uh, hey, can I, can, I, uh, can I join the wrestling team? And he said, sure, come on in, you know, try it out. And uh, so, yeah, I went to practice for about – about two weeks and then we had our first tournament and I got second place in my weight category and so I thought oh maybe I'm pretty good at this and I kind of stuck with it through junior high and uh yeah never really never really looked back since then really you said it kind of started um through somebody else and you said would you say that you're someone that um is quite a quick learner because not everybody could 
and walk in and spend two weeks in something that they completely don't know anything about and then enter a tournament and come in second place. Yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe I had a good base for it or, or a good foundation of, of just, um, I think I'm very coachable. Like I, and sometimes to a fault, like sometimes I'm not independent enough. But I think I'm very coachable in that, you know, if coach tells me to do this, it's like, oh, I have to do that, period. Like, you know, um, and, and I think that's a, a great attribute to have for any kind of athlete because you want the expert to be to make you just as smart as they are and aware of their sport as, as they are. So um, I think my ability to just be in there and, and listen to the coach and let him let me know what's going on and, and how I can be successful in the sport really helped me. Um, and I think I was just always I was always pretty fit. I think fitness is a huge part of, of wrestling as it is any sport. Um, but just overall good fitness. Like I think some people are sometimes, you know, too strong, but they they can't run more than a mile. Or some people can run forever, but they can hardly do a push up. And so wrestling kind of is a all encompassing, all around kind of. You need a bit of everything. And I think I I always strive for that to be like the best overall athlete. Nice. And then so what are kind of three skills or three characteristics, um, that make somebody uh, teachable? Oh man. Uh... <laughs> That's a hard one, how to narrow it down. I think resiliency is definitely one. So when you are taught something and then you don't do it properly or it's, it takes a little longer for it to settle in, uh, you have to be resilient and, and realize or persevering would be a, a better sort of synonym for that. Just that when it gets tough or, or it's not quite what you expected, they're willing to get in there and, and try again and again and again. Just this persistence that you always want to be in there. Um, takes a certain level of toughness as well. Like... Um, I guess to humble yourself to say that, you know, I'm not good at this. I need someone to tell me who or what to do, right? And so I think being humble is another great part of being a quick learner um, because you are just willing to give yourself over and, and trust that someone will, will take you forward to where you need to be. I would say just a, a sense of honesty and that being honest with, uh, you know, your own performance in anything, whether that's school, athletics, um, your business, right? Having that sort of self-awareness and honesty within yourself saying, again, you know, I'm not good at this. I need someone to help me. Or when I do make mistakes, what are the mistakes that I made, right? And how can I correct them? Because in a sport like wrestling, it's individual. It's you wrestling against someone else. And so you really have to understand when you've done something really well and when you haven't. Because if you don't, then you'll never make that correction. And, and you know, we had a big team whenever, wherever I've been. Like there's been at least between – 20 to 50 athletes on a, on a whole team. And so, but with only one to two coaches, they can't be everywhere at once. So if you want to progress at, at a rate that, that you're going to be happy with, you have to, you know, take a step back and say, okay, what do, what do I really need to work on within myself? And also be confident in those things that you are already great at. Just thinking about like some of the things I'm doing, like I would definitely tie persistency uh, to the, uh, to the podcast. Cause I started it as a, a college project uh, basically mm-hmm. in, in like a communications theory class and at the beginning like even the instructor with their like their phd with their phd and all the other people my classmates were very skeptical about the idea they almost like uh, poked fun at it and that's yeah. one thing i'm starting to learn as i get older is if somebody laughs at an idea that means that you should do the idea because it might it might be a, a really a good idea Hence, two two and a half years later, and 135 episodes on the podcast. And I just just find that really interesting. That's something that I've always been good at, um, is not listening to others in the sense of uh, persistency, 
And obviously that has mm. its pros and its cons, because yeah, sometimes you make poor choices and stuff, which has yeah. definitely happened. But on this particular occasion, it, it was a very good decision to follow like my gut instinct and yeah, not listen to the noise of everybody else. Yeah, I've always liked the saying, like, you either win or you learn, you know? So either you're going to win when you do something you love and you, you enjoy it, or, you know, you do it and it doesn't quite work out. Or you don't you don't find the success that you want and you say, OK, well, I can keep going and, and you know, learn from this or I can can scratch it. But I can bring what I learned in my mistakes from this forward so that I don't make the same mistakes again. Yeah. And then, and then to go, going back to when you were talking about uh, humbleness um so, so more recently, because when, when I was growing up, I always like hated gym back when I was in school and I was like, all oh, these other people are like much bigger than me. And, in better shape because they play way more sports when I was the, uh, the, the drama drama kid, kid right? But but so so anyway, I more recently, like end of last year, I started going to uh, to the gym the gym near where I live, and I ha and I made the uh, personal investment to like hire a personal trainer, and at the beginning I was like absolutely uh, terrified because I'm the type of person that has a lot of confidence. If I've been doing something for a long time in a certain thing, but if it's like brand new, it absolutely like terrifies me. But but the mm -hmm. trainer, the trainer really helped because that's what the the training they helped build up my, like my inner belief and confidence, and they they made the gym a lot smaller to really just like focus on myself and to think about like where I'm starting and the progression I'm making and not comparing myself to the guy next to me that's jacking like 240 pounds that's been going to the gym for 10 years because if yeah. you put it because if you put it into the big picture of life i'm sure i'm the only person in the gym that has a podcast like 100 percent, you know so it's, it's yeah. just what it's just what you compare against what right no absolutely and i think um well what was i going to say yeah, just the idea of intrinsic motivation. Like you have to want to do it, and and the trainer's job is to make you want to keep coming back, um, to give you sort of the rewards that you seek, and and therefore you'll come back and keep doing it. It's probably the same reason you do the podcast because you get to hear so many cool stories, and, and maybe it's sometimes a bit of a self reflection, looking in on yourself and thinking, oh, you know, I didn't consider that characteristic about myself, or is that something I want to do within my life, or and whatnot. So. So I definitely think that's that's sort of what you're getting at is this idea that you want to keep coming back because it, it feels good and and there's a reason for it. If you had psychic powers, like you just got it like one hundred per like one hundred percent like spot on. It, see at the beginning it was like a lot of like trial and error, but as you get more into the journey, you realize how much you can learn from other people's experiences and stories. So it's almost like personal de development like every single week because it's somebody yeah. different with. A different story, a different set of circumstances, and it's just crazy what you can learn from others. And then it's also, well, simply because we like to keep it simple on the show, is just time for me to drink tea. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Oh, that's awesome, man. Because it's like, and because it's a cup of tea, like every episode, that means I've drank one hundred and thirty-five cups of tea just to do this podcast. <laughs> There's probably some equation in there to figure out the like average cup of teas it takes to you have to you know use the restroom and then you take that 135 <laughs> divided you know we can figure out how many times you've also had to <laughs> to lose that cup of tea so to speak that's so true man there's always science uh, behind these things but that but, but but that's how my brain works sometimes is 
I like those random facts, like I've had 135 like cups of tea, or my mm. podcast has been in 63 countries in the world, or wow. the, the average listen time of this person's story is X and X, right? So the, yeah. things like that. And then you write on the on the personal side too. Every episode, usually at some point, I guess I reveal a little bit more myself to whoever I'm speaking to, which at times mm. can be like complete uh, strangers or like us. If we, yeah. we we know each other a tiny bit, but we haven't connected recently. So that's also interesting. The different like relationships that that I've had with like each of the, each of the guests. So it's just fascinating. Totally. What's the farthest geographic location that that your podcast has been listened? Oh, like places like Kenya and Sri Lanka wow. and like India, probably some of those countries. Wow, that's crazy that you got that outreach. That like that's insane. Yeah, you yeah. just start doing it, and then I guess that's that's the internet for you. You don't know what's going to happen, right? So on every episode of the Tea with Mike show, hence the name, uh, we always have a little uh, tea break, and we. Uh, learn something new about tea. And so today's tea fact is just five countries dominate the tea market, accounting for 88.75% of global tea production uh, by the top 10 uh, tea producers. So so can you have a guess before I tell you, like what are some of the top producing tea countries in the world? One of the Asian countries, you know, like like China or Japan. I've got to be up there. I would okay, imagine. China. Um, Britain probably. They no. Bought a tea. Really? No, no, because no, because we're talking about tea production versus tea drinking. Oh, okay. So, um, so, so you're looking for climates where tea grows, obviously. Thrive. Yeah. So then, maybe in like South America, perhaps like Brazil. No. Colombia? I don't know. Jeez, I'm not... All right, so we could be here all day, actually. So, so, <laughs> I know. The whole podcast so the, is this. So the, other, so the other ones based off my research um, is India, Kenya, Sri Lanka, and Vietnam. Yeah, I wouldn't have got Sri Lanka or Kenya. I might have worked my way to India, but yeah, wow. Okay, neat. Yeah, and so that, because we always, something I learned in college, we always have to quote our sources just in case we're wrong. And that comes from uh, <laughs> supplements101.net slash uh, t-statistics. Well, where's the APA formatting? That's what college teaches <laughs> us. That's what it's all about. It's, oh, you did APA? <laughs> I did a lot of uh, like MLA with a little oh, bit MLA. of MLA. Yeah, each institution has its own sort of rules, but yeah. yeah. That's, because, that's because you did, that's you did a, good, a degree and went to a university where at the t- at the time, I went to a college and did two diplomas, even though it's like the same amount of education. <laughs> yeah, it's so so silly how they do that. Like, and now your your college is now a university, so I mean, they should upgrade all your things to be university. Yes, or I could play the other card. I'm very proud to go to the old institute, like <laughs> as it yeah, as it gets retro, further and further. The retro away. generation. Yeah. So can you tell us what freestyle uh, wrestling is and maybe a little bit deeper on how you got involved in it? Like maybe some of your favorite things about it, like what it teaches you, what kind of expand on earlier? One of the analogies my coaches use for describing what wrestling is, it's basically like trying to run a mile in four minutes while someone is on your back trying to stop you from doing that. And that just sort of gives you an idea of sort of the intensity and also the, the craziness of, of what wrestling is. Um, what it really is, 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 uh, Two opponents, uh, pretty equal in weight, um, competing against one another. Uh, it's it's gender segregated, so men compete against men and women compete against women. 
Um, and basically all it is, it's a series of, of uh, you're trying to do a series of techniques, takedowns. You're trying to knock your opponent off balance. The goal being to, to get them pinned to the mat so that both their shoulder blades touch the mat for one second. And that would, that would cause a pin and for the match to be over. That would be in an ideal world. Um, there's lots of other ways where wrestling sort of there's a scoring system where depending how you take them down, you get a certain amount of points. Or if you if you do bigger maneuvers, they're worth bigger amounts of points. Um, and you can also win on on what's called the by decision, so by having more points than your opponent at the at the end of the the match. Um, wrestling happens in two periods, so it's a three minute period, and then a 30 second break, and then another three minute period. And the scoring is cumulative, so the points that come in the first period carry over to the second period. Um, that's the most recent set of rules. Um, it has sort of evolved over the past, I'd say, eight years. They changed it to that cumulative scoring. It used to be um, it used to be three rounds, and they used to be independent of one another. So you'd have to win two out of three rounds as opposed to the match as a whole. You made it sound quite s- simple, but is it is it more? Co- so, so if someone just said, "Oh, it's six minutes." That doesn't sound like a lot of time, but I, mm-hmm. I feel like people maybe underestimate uh, uh, wrestling. I know because I've spoken to other people, especially in like martial arts and uh, jiu-jitsu, like actually how much mm-hmm. uh, control and skill it actually takes when someone's got a lot of pressure on you. Totally, yeah. And I, I would say that, um, yes, to, to give you the short and simple answer, it is, it is a lot more complicated than that. You know, if, if you want to compare it to, say, a football or, or a soccer match, you know, in a football match, you kind of run for 10 to 15 seconds if you're on the ball, or you're sprinting down the wing, and, and then you get a little chance to, to have a breather, right? If you miss a scoring opportunity, the ball gets booted back down, and if you're a forward, you can kind of walk and have a small jog. But wrestling, you're kind of always on, right? You're always head-to-head with this person. You're always fighting for control, fighting for, you know, superior position and stuff, and so it's very hands-on and, and very taxing because you're... It's just maximal strength strength for three minutes, and then you get a little bit of a break. But really, if, if you've done any kind of exercise, you know 30 seconds is enough for you to like get a sip of water and then get back out there kind of deal. Um, so yeah, it, it is very, very intense is, is why I, what I try to emphasize. Who do you idol your kind of wrestling style after? Do you have any favorite wrestlers? Oh man, <laughs> uh, a bunch. <laughs> but that's just what happens when you're in the sport for long enough. Um, I would say I, I model after, uh, I guess, sort of, they have this style out in, in the University of Iowa, which is a, a, a university out in America. Um, and, and they're very, like, about fitness and being tough and being very hands-on. Um, some wrestlers like to wrestle from a distance if they're, if they're kind of faster, so they'll wrestle away from their opponent, and then they'll quickly dart in on a takedown attempt. But Iowa believes on, like, just being on your opponent and, and breaking them and snapping them and you know getting them out of position and, and wearing them down, wearing them down, and, and making fitness a really big part of it. So I, I model a lot after sort of what they do, and I think I'm a really fit guy, and I like to sort of impose that upon upon my opponent. Uh, and what's the worst wrestling injury someone has inflicted on you? I've been pretty lucky, you know. I'm, I, I wrestle at uh, 125 pounds, 57 kilograms. And so, you know, when we make contact, when we get taken down, there's not that much force really coming on us. So I will preface that, um, you know, people have gotten bad injuries, but I, I'm pretty thankful, knock on wood, that I haven't uh, sustained too many bad ones. Um, probably the worst one, I ha- I've had a bit of nerve damage in my shoulder here. Um, 
and and that one was really weird like it wasn't even during wrestling it just i went to do some push-ups after practice and it just gave out on me so i think it was more of a chronic fatigue um so that one was probably the worst i think i bruised a couple ribs here and there um so that it, it like actually hurts when we're breathing but uh no I'm, i've been pretty thankful I, I i take my my training very seriously i i do the right things while i'm competing and training and make sure to stretch and, and keep my body nice and loose so that I can avoid those kind of things. And how important is kind of like diet in uh, wrestling? Because obviously it's it's pretty significant in other spots. So I'm curious. Totally. Yeah. I guess I'll give you a bit of a history in that um, wrestling used to be closer to sort of mixed martial arts and they do they weigh before um, any kind of competition. So we'd have about, you know, you'd, you'd be on weight, step on the scale, and then you have about 17, 18 hours to get some food back in your body before you compete. In 2017, 2018, one of those two years, wrestling switched to a morning of weigh-in. So we weigh in, so let's say competition starts at 10, we'd weigh in at 8 a.m., and then you probably have enough time to get, you know, half a meal into you, and then you start wrestling at 10 a.m. So really the idea of... Um, huge drops in weight was pretty much eliminated because you competed so quickly right after you you weighed in and yeah so diet is definitely important to to sort of keep your weight sort of under control but nowadays i would say people are a lot closer to their their fighting weight so to speak their natural weight and their fighting weight are are almost oh, identical okay. because they know that they can't they can't make those huge jumps before a competition and do you think that's better or worse than the previous rules um i think it's it, it's on an individual basis. I think some people are still trying to do it the old way, but they're realizing it's not good based on this new way. And so to say one is better than the other, I would say this one is better. I think it just keeps people more accountable. You know, people can't make these huge weight drops and, and possibly, you know, cause themselves some health issues. There's been stories of people doing these kind of severe weight drops and, and not even be able to compete the next day because they, their body just can't recover because they've they sort of tarnished it so much from malnutrition and, and dehydration and things like that. But this new system keeps you accountable in that, you know, if, you, if you're going to go to a certain weight class, you got to be really close. you got to be really close within striking distance if you're going to make that weight. And we're going to talk a little bit more about wrestling a little later on. We first met at uh, Artstrike, a, a theater camp for teens at, um, back then, Red Deer College. And so I would love to know how you involved in acting in kind of the world of theater well I don't even know where, like where to say I I begin you know I like to think of myself as a pretty outgoing person and so just just being and now being a teacher right I'm, I'm sort of always the center of the attention with with eyes always looking at me from from students um, I guess the first sort of vivid memory I have of, of performing was I, I did choir all the way through uh, elementary school um, I was just in choir and you know I was just another voice sort of in the in the big choir on the risers and on the bleachers whatever have you and we do little Christmas concerts and spring concerts and, and whatnot and um, I don't even know why I did it like my mother is very musical and she'd always you know push me to to be in there and and say you should get involved and like okay yeah you know whatever it's like so you know kids are so uh, moldable like <laughs> they can you can tell them to do pretty much anything and they're like oh yeah that's probably what I should do so um, and then in grade six, uh, with choir, we actually, when you get into grade six, which is your last year of elementary school, 
you can audition for a role in part of the play and the choir sort of supports the play with the ensemble music, but then the play sort of happens on its own. And so I just kind of threw my hat in the ring and I, I landed a, a lead role in our little musical and I actually had two solos. So, so I guess that's sort of my first jump into where I was like, oh, I can actually act and perform as opposed to just being like kind of the singing background music, you know? Nice. No, so, so I remember when I was in like the equivalent of elementary school here and uh, we, we, we were, do, we were uh, doing this um, show, show, it was all about, it was all about Bob Marley in Jamaica. Okay. And somehow, so the role that I ended up with was, I was one of like the, the reggae men and I, I, I only had like a couple of lines just because it, it wasn't that long of a play and no. Most people only had like a couple of lines, to be honest, and then there was some like background stuff. Mm-hmm. So I remember like I had to come like up up, up the stairs because like the whole like at the far end there was like st- staircases basically leading up and down to like the different classrooms. So obviously mm-hmm. there was some doors to get to that, and we had to come like through those doors like up the middle of the aisle. The audience is like on either on either like, side, and we just had to go. So, what, what did we go? It was something like. Oh yeah, reggae man. Yeah, <laughs> and I, uh, it was terrible. It was like so like cringeworthy because it just didn't sound like a true uh, Jamaican accent. So honestly, <laughs> what was it cringy when we were kids? Like let's <laughs> let's be serious. Uh, obviously, it got it got it got it got a little bit uh, better, but that was like similar to yours. I guess that was like my first moment, right? Where you're like, yeah, I can do this. This is this isn't awful. Yeah. What, what what what's your favorite thing about theater? What is my favorite thing about theater? Oh man. Uh, oh wow. I think I just love seeing it go all together, and I love the layers of theater as I as I've sort of grown in my exploration. You know, you you kind of have a script, and that's the surface level. But then there's everything else involved with the script. Like, okay, what's this character really want? What's their motivation? Um, what are they trying to express? You know, what are the sort of interplays with other characters? Like, okay, this is, you know, a, a husband and wife. But then, oh, does the husband have a, a, a weird relationship with, with the wife's, like, brother? And are they just, like, crazy together? Or are they, like, secretly hate each other? And, like, you know, it's just all these layers that can go into it. And then, you know, you get into, like, the technical design of it. Like, what does the set mean? Like, why are certain places pieces placed this way and that way? And, and uh yeah, it's, and when you start investigating those, it's like, whoa, like, now you understand what makes really good theater as opposed to just, like, someone standing on stage reading some lines. Like, you understand what really goes into selling a performance, I guess, is the best way to sell it. Again, when I was in England, like, uh, drama and theater was my favorite subject by, like, a mile. And yeah. I, was, so I was in, like, things like Sound of Music, played, like, Franz the Butler, and... Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, like, Oliver Twist, and all... all all of uh, those sorts of shows. And I think it was the only place where I felt truly myself in terms of the people I was surrounded by and the, and the, in the environment. And I extended that kind of outs outside of school. And um, in the, t- cause I lived in, a, in Northern England in like this like town, that's very mm-hmm. historic. It's called uh, Richmond and uh, North Yorkshire. It's got like a, a, a medieval like castle and, Abbey is like where the monks used to live and in the town there was a Georgian theatre going back to like the 17th uh, century and 
it was like in its original like format with like Shakespearean boxes and chandeliers and like the the wooden stage and like tiny dressing rooms and it was wow. like and it was like supposed to be haunted and that was when I knew it was something that I wanted to do in whatever shape or form that it looked like forever because some of the best moments of my life are like stepping onto that stage and just feeling the magic of this it was small and intimate you could see everybody in the audience and so you can hear when someone coughs when you're waiting backstage because they're like the other side of this curtain essentially oh and, yeah okay and i just remember like there's no other ways to describe it to be honest it was just exhilarating adrenaline pumping and just magical quite frankly it's like an out-of-the-body experience almost totally yeah i was like gonna add on to your point about it's so funny that you say like that's where you felt most yourself when you were like on the stage or in in class or whatever because like theater is where we create characters and where we are different characters and it's for some people like it's it's a release and i i can attest that for myself sometimes it is to just it's like fun to be someone else you know it's we always have the cheesy expression of like walk a mile in someone else's shoes. And it's like, well, I can actually do that in theater. If, <laughs> if I really put my mind to it, like I can, uh, maybe it's two miles, maybe it's a hundred. I don't know. It can be anything. It's theater. Um, so it's so, it's so crazy that you say like feel the most yourself when you're not being yourself, you know, it's sort of this weird catch 22 paradox. 100%. And I'm looking back a little bit from where I am now. The other part that I loved about theater was obviously the people and I, th- I found it crazy yet cool how hey, you, you could go, like, in inside a week, you could go from not knowing anybody and the complete strangers to putting on a, on a sh- show on a Friday or, like, Saturday night. And for me, that process was, was like, that's crazy. Like, going from zero to a hundred inside five days is, like, cool. I did, like, a couple of, like, one acts and short plays and uh, that type of thing. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, and definitely like where we met at Arch Trek is, is such a huge testament to that, but like that theater can connect people in, in extraordinary ways when, again, if we talk about that notion of like being ourselves, but not being ourselves and like you're connecting with hundreds of people that while you're like being yourself, but also not yourself because you're in theater. Yeah, again, it's just like your mind would just go on for days thinking about how crazy that is. Now, my other favorite thing about theater and entertainment more generally is uh, the element of storytelling and the power that's the that's in the art of storytelling, whether through through characters in theater to music, and that's something that I want to keep alive. I guess is partly why I'm doing this uh, podcast. Is even though technology, yeah, even though technology is amazing and it's allowing us to do this right now, um, it's also a huge distraction for just simple conversation with us and then the more you talk and the deeper you get into a conversation uh, the deeper that you build the connection which ultimately overall is storytelling what would you would you ever take this like live i don't know if i i haven't i've kind of seen episodes here and there but like would you ever go like live with someone and and try to get you know i i almost see like a, a like tea with mike on the streets and yes. you uh you know, you, you like just sit at a coffee table or not a coffee table, a coffee shop and you pull the microphone on the other side and you say, give me five minutes and, and tell me your story quickly. And, you know, maybe you get a question or two in there and then that person leaves and 
you know, you could get some content from that. I don't know. Like, talk to me about your live possible possibilities. I'm ready for any. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So doing a live show is something that I think with a studio audience would be like really cool. Obviously, you have to work on the, the style and the formatting a little bit. And then the other thing that I was thinking about on my uh, vision board that I did more recently was um, like Tea with Micah, the Edmonton Fringe. Because I because I know a lot of people in Edmonton, like whether that's talking to street performers or random audience members, I think it would be cool as like a, a, a like a street a street performance, and I think the title of the show would be "What's the Tea?" Perfect. So yeah, yes, and then you can, I have oh, thought about get get the Kermit the Frog meme in there. The... Yes, yeah, so I have thought about doing it live, and it is something that I'd love to explore. Maybe, hopefully, as we return to whatever the new normal looks like. I guess that's the thing that's kind of holding it back right now. Yeah, you kind of have to wait till we can really sort of trust the outside world. And, and depending on your views on that and whatnot, but yeah. And then, and then eventually, if I'm like thinking bigger, I would love to like, like pack a, an event room or a stadium. But I think in that, I think in that format, it would be more like like reporting style, I like. I want to. Um, it's a dream to like be like a reporter at the Olympics or like a FIFA World Cup yeah. or even a a film festival. Idea that sort of stuff is kind of cool too. Totally, you just got to chip away at it. You know, you, you got to start somewhere and and then just build from there with resiliency. There you go. See, yeah, <laughs> bringing it back. That's what teachers do, right? They, they set out the <laughs> objectives at the beginning of a lesson, and as as you come towards uh, as time's running out, they they link it all back in. That's what makes a good teacher. Oh, thanks. Trying my best. <laughs> Challenging was it uh, to balance schoolwork with your kind of wrestling and uh, theater activities? So so we're getting more into like university here. I guess I as I got into university, I was I was pretty heavily committed to wrestling. I I received an athletic scholarship to go to UFC, and so that was sort of my my main focus was to be a good student athlete. Um, I did manage to work on a and complete a drama minor throughout my degree, um, and so through that I I was able to take uh, most of my courses were just about performances in class. There wasn't too many outside of class. Um, but again, I, I started to sort of, I kept theater in my life. I, I'll put it that way, but you know, my focus started to become more on athletics because there was sort of a financial, you know, compensation to it. Um, there was a, a greater sense of, uh, camaraderie and, and, um, just being at practice every day and, and doing, you know, doing really hard things with other people makes you so much closer. Like when you are at your absolute, um, most fatigued both physically and emotionally and, and theater can do that too. Don't get me wrong, but um, I, it was more evident on a daily basis in wrestling when you're, you know, running up hills and, and, you know, pulling on each other and pushing on each other and, and all that fun contact stuff. And I, I felt just such a, a greater sense of, of community and, and, um, and love in, in that space. Um, and so I, I was able to find a balance to the best of my ability, but I but I knew that sports were, were something that were going to take me um, just that much further. I knew I was I, I felt I was that much better and, and could put the work in there and and pursue that to the best of my ability.
And so I believe from your bio that you have uh, two, two university degrees from the University of Calgary, one in yeah. kinesiology with a minor in drama and the other in education with a concentration in physical education. So why did you kind of choose to study these programs? Well, isn't it kind of obvious? I mean, the jock wants to do kinesiology, <laughs> which is all about sort of the human movement and and the body and sports and stuff. And, and then obviously physical education. The athlete wants to teach gym. Huge surprise. Um, but no, I don't know. I think uh, I think sports have given me so many things. And, and that's my ultimate goal as a teacher is, is to show students that, you know, it's great to be fit. And there are so many benefits. And, and we even can tell that now when, um, you know, we're in, a, we're in a harder time. Like physical activity, just being outside and going for a walk when that was like the only thing we could do in, in like March 2020, April 2020. That was the only thing that was sort of considered safe. Um, you know, that has so many benefits beyond just the physical, like the emotional release or the mental release of just, all right, this is all I got to do and focus on for 20 minutes, 30 minutes of my day. And then I can get back to what I need to do. The community of it, right? Meeting people like I met so many Olympians and world medalists in wrestling. And I've, I've traveled to, to countries I never thought I would um, with wrestling. Um, and so ultimately, I, I just want to show, you know, kids and, and students that, that sport can take you so many places. And it's so much more than just like kicking a soccer ball, shooting a basketball, that kind of stuff. Like there's so much more that sports can give us that, that we need to really realize. And, and I, I feel that way because I went through that when I throughout my sport journey. What was kind of the most challenging part about being at university for you and why? I had a really bad habit of saying yes to everything. You know, I was on this committee and I was doing this intramural sport and I was going out to this party or club or whatever. And then I'd have to get up early and train for wrestling. And, and you know, I just had a hard time being away from people and socializing and, and enhancing a part of myself, you know, whether it was my leadership or my teamwork ability or or, you know, my, my networking, if you will, or, you know, um, my drinking ability, if you will, <laughs> we go out and things like that. I just had such a hard time saying no, no to things. And, um, and it got, you know, it, I, I, I'm glad I got bit early with it. Like in first year university, my, my marks certainly weren't uh, where I wanted them to be. And I just, I have a high academic standard for myself. And so when I saw that, I thought, okay, I need to I need to really sit down and, and think what are the most important things for me like I can't be a part of everything but I can be a part of of some things and and where do I find the balance um, and it's always kind of a trial and error thing you know I I could you know my marks started to go up and then I would I would take on a little bit more because I'm like oh maybe I can handle it and then maybe they'd slip a little bit and I'd have to pull back and and so it was always kind of a trial and error thing but but I think that was it like just being the yes man so to speak for for a little bit and and even now in my professional career I try not to say yes to to you know oh I'll plan this trip or you know oh I'll plan this social event or whatever like I, I have work to do so I I need to focus on that first and foremost and then um, when I feel I can fit those things in if I can and that's again just a judgment call. I'm enjoying uh, listening and taking part in uh, this conversation because oh, I'm, I'm a I'm a social butterfly to like I used to always say yes to everything more from the perspective of trying not to let anyone down. And as you get older mm -hmm. in life, as I come mm -hmm. to celebrate my like 26th birthday in uh, two, two days at a time. Oh, happy uh, early birthday. Thanks, man. Um, 
you realize you have to ask yourself the question. You have to kind of pull back, like you were saying, is what what's really important and what actually matters. And ultimately, it's not the judgment, I guess, of other people. It's finding that balance of what works for you and what what makes you happy on a little bit more of a like broader scale to what you were talking about. Yeah, it's an individual thing. You know, you you can seek advice from people who who may have who may have gone through the same thing, thing sort of uh, ambiguous or, or genuine, like, or generic, I want to say, like, you know, oh, just, just say no to a couple things. Well, you don't understand. <laughs> like, that's not how I function. Like, I'm totally with you on that. Like, I hate letting people down. I, I think people, you know, people outside of myself have, have been um, so impactful in my life. And, you know, and I think it's almost sort of like, it's almost like a drug, you know, like, you'd say yes to something once and then you get all these things from it, you know, whether it's like, I don't know, experience or like a bunch of new friends or, you know, maybe some money or whatever it is, uh, something to pad your resume, something like that. And, and so you're like, oh, what else can I say yes to? Cause like you did it once and it was great. Um, it's like the first time you said yes to something you were unsure about, it sucked. Then you probably were less inclined to, um, to say again, it's again, that intrinsic motivation piece. Like we talked about with you going to the gym, like inside you have to feel like, yeah, this is something I want to keep doing over and over again. Like I want to say yes to new opportunities because the times that I did, it was awesome. Totally true, and that's the problem. Like you're like you're saying, especially if you're the most enthusiastic uh, person person in the room, you tend to get that reputation. Oh, Michael, do it, or Freddie will do it, or like yeah. Uh, 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 and that's good in some ways because you can actually get some unique opportunities. But if you overload yourself, it can actually like work against you, right? Yeah, totally. I, I feel that. Both both sides of that. While you were at university, because I was digging deep into uh, your story, I believe you ran for election as a kinesiology uh, representative oh, on the student union. And so yeah. why did you why did you decide to do this? And how did your acting and wrestling experiences help you in the campaign? And then also, was it successful? And what did you learn from the experience? I don't know. I, I um, so many questions. I'm sorry. I'm just like, whoa, where to start? Um, I I wanted to run because I felt I was a good representative of the faculty. I, I felt I embodied sort of what the faculty needed. Uh, you know, somebody who was who was healthy, who was active, who but also who wanted, you know, some, some kind of change, someone who'd been around long enough. I think I ran in my third and fourth years, respectively, of my degree. And I'd been around long enough to know sort of the ins and outs of the faculty and, and know sort of where it needs to go or where I wanted it to go in order to engage students more and make them more uh, connected and things like that. Um, and so ultimately, that was sort of where my decision to, to run came from. I had a lot of support from friends saying they thought I was really good for the job. And so... Uh, yeah, it was sort of a combination of that that allowed me to think, oh, I'd be pretty good at this. Um, how wrestling and drama helped was, um, I think the first time we ran, it was me and this other guy, and he ended up winning. Uh, but he went on to do awesome things, so I was pretty happy for him. At the time, I was a little bitter. You know, that's just me being competitive. Um, but but yeah, both times I lost to him, so I was I was upset. Oh, twice. Still, uh, yeah, stings to lose once. It really sucks to, to lose twice. Shame on me, shame on you, kind of deal. But uh, anyway, um, yeah. So wrestling and, and drama really helped because the first time we both ran, we had to do like sort of a speech, or not like a speech, but sort of a a question answer period in front of our faculty. And and 
you know, that can be very terrifying for people to, to just speak openly in front of, in front of people they not, might not totally know, you know, like I was in third year, so I'm, I was sort of disassociated from the, the first year kinesiology students because that two years is, is quite a gap. The second years are kind of close to our age and the fourth years are kind of close to our age, but, but two years is a bit of a jump. So, so I think theater just allowed me to, to have the skills to be able to stand up there, be confident in what I was saying, know what I was saying, not just like blacking out and, and hoping I say the right thing kind of deal. Um, and again, wrestling sort of presents this, this same element, right? Like wrestling is just you and someone else. And, and so you're responsible for your actions. And, and I knew I was responsible for whatever I said up there and, and I would be accountable for those things as well in all the, in all the fairest and, and politically correct sense of the word. Um, that what I promised to the students that I would do, I would, I would make sure it gets done one way or another. Um, you know, I, I could, I have this little tangent about like, I think I could get a PhD on why theater and sports are, are so alike. Um, and just the idea is that, you know, you're the only person out there. The rehearsal is like practice. You do it over and over again. You make mistakes. Um, you figure out what doesn't work, what does work. Your big practice is leading up to a competition. And then you're out there and you're performing for people, whether it's on the mat, uh, it's in the field, or it's on the stage. So I, I, I could go on and on, but I've thought about this way too much in my spare time. But the parallels between theater and sport are just incredible, in my opinion. Freddie, you need to write a book and you need to call it <laughs> On the Mat, On the Field, and On the Stage. <laughs> the story Perfect. of Freddie. I think, I think it would be a bit serious, though. I think it would actually <laughs> be a, like, a super interesting book. Maybe like All the World's a Stage, the parallels between theater and sport. Oh, in your bio, uh, you say that you're currently a teacher in Calgary. Uh, so what do you teach and what are some of the most challenging and rewarding things about being a teacher? Yeah, I'm, uh, I currently just got a, a full year job. Um, it's been hard for, for teachers <laughs> out here. Thank you. Yeah. Um, last year, I, I was mostly just sort of guest teaching, substitute teaching. So when teachers were sick or whatever, I would, I would jump in there and help them out. But this year, I, I landed a full year position. And I'm teaching currently uh, physical education as well as a course called outdoor education, which is sort of like um, environmental education where you, you get kids to appreciate nature and all that it has to offer. You teach them kind of survival skills stuff. So like fire building, tent building, um, camping uh, skills, cooking on a, on a fire or a stove, um, things like that. So just getting them outdoors and, and having them love what they do and those kind of things. Um, I would say the most challenging part would be that I've never taught this course before, outdoor education. I've taught lots of physical education, so I'm, I'm pretty familiar with sort of the sports model and, you know, we bounce a few basketballs, shoot them in and, you know, kick a couple of soccer balls and call it a day kind of deal, throw a dodgeball every now and then, uh, the classic gym teacher move. Um, but with outdoor education, you know, I, I'm coming in kind of blind and, uh, I have a lot of great supports. I have a lot of great teachers who support me and, and give me good ideas on how I should approach things. And I took the course actually when I was in school. Um, but you know, when you're a student, you're not thinking about how do, would I teach this or how does it go the other way? Like you're just absorbing information as opposed to like, okay, how would I, you know, teach this in 10 years when I want to become a teacher? <laughs> but um, yeah, but the most rewarding part is, is seeing when my lessons actually click, like seeing that sort of light bulb moment in students' eyes when they're like, oh, I get it, like what he's trying to explain or, or you, they, you know, they think they're done an assignment, but you give them one more question. You're like, well, go a little further. Like what, what do you really want from this? And then they sort of get it. They're like, wow, like, if I hadn't done that, I, I wouldn't have been able to, 
to really see what what the extent of the assignment or the purpose of the assignment is. Yeah, so no, no that sounds like a very, like like you're saying a very specialized course. So I'm thinking mm -hmm. like not that I'm really in the know, but I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that a lot of schools in like Red Deer offer that specific course. Yeah, it is. It I I wouldn't know for sure, but yeah, it's it's offered here in Calgary. I know, and it's especially. Um, popular out in rural areas because they can do things like hunting and fishing as part of the curriculum. Whereas we in Calgary are very urbanized and stuck in our own sort of city bubble. So how, how do you use your own experiences in wrestling and theater to enhance your teaching? I guess it's sort of the same parallels as like when I talked about running for Kinesis rep that, you know, I, I'm comfortable being in front of people and, and speaking about things that, um, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of sometimes making lessons the night before and sometimes you just got to say, OK, here we go. See how this goes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just standing in front of and confident, confidently delivering um, something that I just composed nearly 12 to 16 hours prior to, to being in front of them. Uh, and theater can be like that, too. When we talk about things like improv, like it's, sometimes I feel like my job is very much like improv, you know, just something comes together and there we go. <laughs> Away we go. Um yeah, and then just, you know, being ready for whatever comes. I think wrestling uh, is a very reactive sport when you get to a very high level. Like, you just have to have it in your body to react the right way. Otherwise, you're not going to be successful. You just train that those motions over and over again. And same with theater. You have, you know, choreography where you train it over and over again so it just becomes part of who you are. Uh, you can talk about that with character development and, and things like that. Um, but when kids come at you with, with things, you know, right away, like, hey, what about this part of the, you know, task? Or what about this part of what you were trying to say? You have to kind of think on your feet, all, you know, and, and be grounded in what you say so that you are confident. Because kids can smell fear. They really can. <laughs> uh, you know, in my first couple of days of substitute teaching, uh, I was a little nervous because it wasn't phys ed I was teaching. I was teaching English, I think, or social, one of those two. And, uh, yeah, they could tell I was not prepared <laughs> for that, especially considering I wasn't the teacher, so... So that's just one thing I learned, you know, when through substitute teaching was you just you got to be ready and uh, kids are going to going to try and, you know, come at you hard and fast. And you just got to be ready to with their questions and and say, no, hey, I'm the expert here. You listen to me. This is how it goes. How old are the kids that you teach? I teach a high school age. So they're oh, wow, grades okay, okay. nine to twelve. Yeah. Yeah. So they're. It's not like elementary kids that like, why is the sky blue? It's like, yeah, but what about the philosophy behind? It's like, whoa, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, so they're, they're like ages 15 to 18. So I, I believe that you have aspirations to start coaching in the sport of wrestling. So tell us a little bit more about this goal. Yeah, um, I think the one thing I, I keep in most dear to my heart is that I'm like going to compete until I, I don't have that competitive fire. You know, I... Uh, I got a huge break from it, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. Like, I just couldn't compete. I, I couldn't, you know, I like always working towards something. I always, you know, when I'm training hard and, and I'm really tired and if I have a bad day, it's like, you know, it's all working towards X competition or whatever. Um, but, but with coaching, like, I obviously just love the sport so much. And with teaching, it just seems like the perfect fit to to give back in something that I'm so experienced in and, and, you know, to share my love of the sport of wrestling with, with kids. Um, the pandemic actually helped me because I, I got to work on a lot of my coaching certifications online. So I'm, I'm almost like all I need to do is sort of do an evaluation with a, with an instructor and they just have to watch me, you know, 
instructor or coach a practice and I'm pretty much all set from there. So, so I guess in a way it helped me sort of think, take a step back and allow me to think about what my role would be or what my ideologies would be as a coach when I do get to that point. It's amazing. And as we're going through this, there's so many things that like connect, connect in your story. I didn't realize that theater and sport and even like more broadly, like people's skills and those types of things could all be like interconnected so much. What, what do you do to look after your physical and mental well-being on a daily basis? I definitely have to exercise. I'm pretty pretty stingy on that. Uh, as a wrestler, you know, I'm training every day, whether it's uh, going to practice and being on the mat, practicing my technical abilities, or it's uh, getting in the gym and, and lifting. Um, thankfully, you caught me on a Sunday. Sunday, I always take off. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, Monday to Saturday, train in one way or another, and, and just have that release of, of physical tension or whatever, and just displace it physical energy somewhere uh, and then Sundays I just I just let it all go you know what it's sort of paperwork day sort of just relax um, for a while I, I've been pretty bad with it because I've been leaving all my my actual professional work till till late um, but I've been pretty good about doing like yoga or something um, that's not necessarily great for well yoga is great for physical um, stress relief and, and keeping your body fit as a fiddle but uh, you know it's, it's just a good mental thing to just sort of focus on your breathing and and even sort of meditations. Like I'll even try to just like lay in bed and, and sometimes I'll look up like a YouTube video of just like um, calming music or or even a guided meditation for five to ten minutes and and focus on you know just my breathing and, and slowing everything down and appreciating the moment that I'm in this life that I get to live. That's something I again just sort of in the last year and a half with this with this global pandemic was just like well this is all I can do like I can go for walks and. But then when the winter hits, you don't really want to be outside when it's cold. So it's like, how do I still take care of myself and, and still be able to train and uh, compete and things like that? Um, so it was just finding new ways to sort of not only ease my, my physical stress from sports, but just like my mental stress from like, you know, the uncertainty of my job. Like I didn't, I didn't have a job that was guaranteed ever and, and I could be pulled out of school if, if, you know, I was a close contact of someone and things like that. And, uh, yeah, just, just other parts of my life that I, I felt I really wasn't in control of for a long time. So so I definitely needed that kind of mental mental break of some kind. Yeah, and I think to, uh, talking about uh, the pandemic for a moment, like really really doing this like podcast like consistently um, every single every single week for the most part uh, really gave me a lift, especially especially in the early days of the. The pandemic, I was kind of uh, in between jobs and like wasn't spending that much time obviously with uh, other people because it was uh, so unknown. So just having that uh, interaction with a with a, another person, even just like once a week, like like kept kept me going when it when it gets tough. Because once you fall into the uh, the mental health games and the rut it's really hard to like get out of that it's so fu interesting that you talk about that you know i i think a lot of people were scared to to say they felt that way and and it's sort of only now that maybe at least in my personal experience that people are starting to say like yeah i was i was pretty low at, at some point there and and you know i i i would i would dare to say that at some point during this sort of year and a half that people have been sort of at a very like unknowing sort of low point and and they're very thankful for the people that that kept them kept them uh, their head above water, so to speak. Um, but now it's just sort of becoming a topic of discussion when people are saying like, you know, hey, like 
this is, I, I couldn't voice it before, but I really was like not feeling all that great. Yeah, and then also even now, unfortunately, you can definitely see the uh, the deterioration in some people from like before the pan pandemic, this mm -hmm. current point in time, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. So what's kind of next for you, kind of both personally and professionally? It's a good question. Uh, sometimes I don't even know till the night before, as I said, with my lesson plans. Uh, but um, keep doing my thing, you know. Uh, I uh, got a full-time job, so I'm just going to try Which is and, a win. You know, yeah, just, just win. Just win life. Uh, yeah, so I got that full-time gig with, uh, you know, teaching. Um, I, I mentioned to you why we're recording a little later, because uh, I got a new puppy. So that comes with it sort of, it's sort of, uh, it's like taking care of a child I'm learning. And, you know, it's, it sort of pushed my agenda of wanting to have little children anytime soon based on this, <laughs> this puppy's inability to sort of listen and cooperate. <laughs> but, but it's all fun. It's, it's all learning and it's, it's all a bit of a learning curve and adjusting and, and things like that. And then just keep wrestling, you know, uh, hoping to compete again. We have our first competition, provided everything stays going well uh, at the end of October there in Calgary so I'm, I'm super jazzed about that and yeah hopefully just keep competing for as long as I can um, you know when I when the pandemic first hit it, it was almost like oh I could retire now because my last competition had actually been trying out for a Canadian Olympic team and I, I didn't make it unfortunately and then I thought no oh, you know that'd be a good note to end on like I, I went to the sort of the top level that I could nationally and and now it's like well the next trials are only two years away because they're at the end of 2023 so maybe if I can really get a good consistent schedule and keep up with my work life and, and whatnot, maybe that's where, where I'm going to try and try again and, and try to make the Olympic team and hopefully make the Olympics from there. Man, that, that would be amazing. And then <laughs> if it happened, I should get you back on the podcast because I've actually um, had had a Paralympian on the show uh, before oh, wow. called uh, Tammy uh, Cunnington. She is a swimmer based in uh, Red Deer uh, here in she just retired after the uh, the Tokyo Paralympics, and oh, wow. so that's always cool. Like for me personally, just seeing people doing their own thing in the world, knowing that that they were that this is selfish in some ways, but cool for the connection part. It's, they were on my podcast. You saw them totally. <laughs> no, that's good. It's good to brag. Yes. <laughs> like <laughs> you could you could be the only podcast they're on if people don't really take a care into the into what they're doing for sure. And those some of those not as um, public sports you know so true what's the one piece of advice that you would like to give to someone based off at your story and journey and your experiences so far i guess the expression i always use is uh work hard play hard you know work hard with what you're doing whatever it is whether it's sports whether it's academics whether it's your job like work hard at it and bust your butt on it you know and uh you know be the person that shines out in front of everyone and don't be afraid of that and then when it's time to, to put work away, just relax. And, and, you know, whether that's, you know, hanging out with your mates, uh, whether that's uh, going and doing some exercise yourself, whether that's, you know, hanging out with your new dog, whatever it is. <laughs> like, just put work, leave work at work and, and take time to just sort of rest, relax. And as I say, work hard, play hard. Thank you uh, so much uh, for being on uh, the Tea with Mind podcast and uh, for, for sharing your story. It's obviously been amazing to have some tea some conversation like we connect after uh, many years and totally. yeah just 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 thanks for uh, being here and good luck with what you've got going on and
I'm excited to see what happens next for you. Thanks, man. It was my pleasure. And uh, thank you for your patience and getting me on here. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to hear about my story. And it's been awesome to see this, this podcast sort of grow. And I look forward to the further evolution of it. All right, guys. This was another episode of the, uh, the Tea with Mike show uh, with Freddie. Uh, if you enjoyed uh, Freddie's story and you got a, a, a good kick, but more importantly, uh, learn, learn some things uh, from Freddie's uh, story, make sure you check out uh, some of the other amazing stories at teawithmike.com. It's the Tea with Mike show.